bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dale Siegel, uh, who is a uh, mortgage expert. Uh, she's just come out with a new book called The New Rules for Mortgages. Welcome to the show, Dale. Thank you, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and uh, what makes you a mortgage expert uh, and then why you wanted to write this book. Uh, my background is I'm an attorney uh, by trade. I also own a mortgage company for 20 years. I'm local in Westchester County, New York. And uh, with 20 years' experience, uh, I should know what I'm doing by now as a mortgage broker. I have been teaching uh, how to get a mortgage and real estate for beginners in various venues around the city, and the book is essentially my seminar, of course, updated, updated information. Um, so, you know, the book is it's short, it's concise, it's to the point, there's no fluff, and uh, we're getting good feedback on the um, format of it. And uh, why is this book different from, there are many books out there about mortgages. What makes your book different from all the other ones that are out there? There's many books uh, out there on mortgages, which is why I felt compelled to write this book. How does this book differ? Number one, it's written by somebody who actually is in the business as an active mortgage broker. Day-to-day activity, which is different than somebody simply writing about it and not in the industry. Um, I'm an attorney. So it's helpful with the, uh, you know, background of the, of the process, so that's easy. And I've done this seminar no less than 2,000 times, so I know the proper presentation of the material, which is why it's less than 200 pages as opposed to the normal four or 500-page how-to book, which just has an enormous amount of fluff. Okay, so great. very concise. Okay, again, it's called The New Rules for Mortgages. Is there a, a website where people can find out more about it? TheNewRulesForMortgages.com That sounds appropriate. Okay. Uh-huh. Let's just kind of start at a high level of kind of the set of the mortgage market, and then we'll start to get some of the details about how people can get the best mortgages. Um, real estate market's obviously under a lot of stress these days, and a lot of people are defaulting on their mortgages and getting foreclosed upon. What got us into this mess? I mean, how, how did the mortgage market get so... You know, out of line with reality, and, and where does it stand today? I think that um, you get into a mess like this gradually, and history repeats itself. I think that um, a lot of people got caught up in the excitement of the housing market and the idea of being a homeowner. Uh, vehicles were created so that anybody could simply buy a house if they could get a breath of air. And it, it, it escalated into a problem which was really a short-term idea without any thought that in the short-term future or the long-term future, it would be a terrible mess. So it was kind of like, what can you do for me today? I'm not going to worry about five years from now. Did you see this yourself in your own practice? Did you see people getting into mortgages you thought weren't a good idea and you went ahead with it anyway? Myself, no. Um, I turned away many people that wanted to get mortgages, I'm sure they've gotten them somewhere else. Whether they defaulted or not, I don't know. Uh, so myself, I can only speak for myself, the answer is no. So uh, you're saying that people t- 
took on more mortgage than they could afford, didn't understand their mortgages, and mortgage brokers are somewhat to blame and that they were pushing mortgages that really weren't appropriate for people. Is that kind of the combination of things that happened? Um, well, I think it's much larger than that. I do think, if, if I dissect that question, I think that people did take on more than they can afford, whether they were aware or not. Only the person can speak. Uh, ignorance is no excuse, as we know, so you can't really claim, I didn't understand. If you didn't understand, perhaps they should have asked. Mortgage brokers, the mortgage brokers that push loans like that um, were typically mortgage brokers that didn't really understand the products themselves. They weren't properly educated on the products and how to present them and educate their clients on them. So it was a combination of so many levels of greed and not being aware. So you've seen these cycles before. Mm -hmm. uh, where do we go from here? I mean, are we now going to be in a, a very long-term tight mortgage market or are things loosen up again? Kind of what happens where we are in the cycle going forward? Speculating right now where um, right now we're at, at a point where it's very hard to get a loan. It's very hard to get a loan now because the mortgage industry is revamping its rules and regulations. And what they're trying to do is they've tightened the guidelines whereas uh, I'm sure you want to talk about this later on, uh, where you could have gotten a mortgage with a certain credit score, now you couldn't possibly without a much better credit score. So they're tightening the guidelines of the borrower as far as their credit worthiness, their uh, income, and how much money they have to put down, which is good. Uh, they're also at the point where they're tightening up the regulation and also the level of disclosures to eliminate, as you said, that when the consumers didn't really understand what they were doing. There's many more disclosures and explanation forms that need to be presented to the borrower every step of the way. So this is all good, but it's actually making the market a little stagnant right now, where it's very difficult to get a loan. So do you think this will will pass? I mean, th these regulations aren't going to go away. They're going to continue to have these kind of uh, disclosures going forward. You think that this will give the banks more confidence to make more loans and not be quite as strict, or, or is this going to last for quite a while? I think that eventually, when through you know uh, tried and true reasons, they figure out which way to go. I think when the banks, the investors, and the regulators all become comfortable with the new process, which will be longer and harder and a little bit more expensive, when they become satisfied you know, that, that the fallout, that the foreclosure rate will be reduced through this process, then, then it'll, it'll, it'll get a little better. Um, do I think that the loans that they had in the past, the no income verifications, you know, bad credit loans, do I think they'll come back? I'll say yes, because, you know, everything is cyclical. So eventually those loans will come back. They probably won't come back as forcefully as they have been. So does this remind you of, say, the, the mid-'80s, where you had kind of a boom in real estate, and then the kind of crunch of the early 90s? And, and is it a similar cycle to what you've been through before at that point? Yeah, it's a similar cycle. However, this is much worse, because back in the 80s, and you're dating me, back in the 80s, people weren't putting zero down on a home. So back in the 80s, you were putting 20% down or 10% or 15 down on a home, that you were buying for three hundred thousand dollars. 
now, with this cycle, people were putting 5% down on a $600,000 home. So when the values, the appraised values decline now, it's much harder because the values, I believe, were inflated much greater than they were in the 80s. So uh, a lot of people today are walking away from their homes. They're saying, I think, something like a quarter or maybe more than a quarter of all American homes are underwater. And there are estimates that in two years or so, there'll be a half of all homes uh, worth less than the amount people are borrowing. And they're walking away as a result of that. Is that something you see is going to continue happening, or are we at the peak of that right now? Uh, I, I don't think we're at the peak of that. I think that given so many factors, unemployment, inflation, people just depleting their assets, I think that you will continue to see not huge waves of it, but a continuous momentum of people walking away from their home because after you've spent every nickel you have in the bank and you haven't been working for 12 to 24 months, how can you possibly make a mortgage payment? Well, so the, the fact that the homes are upside down, meaning uh, you owe $200,000 on a house that's only worth 150, I don't think people would necessarily walk away just for that reason um, unless they couldn't make the payments at all. So I don't think people will walk away, although I have seen things on the news. People will walk away just because they feel that they're no longer holding a good investment because it is their home. Well, how about on investment property, rental properties? Are people walking away more because it's not their home? Yeah, yeah. And that's why investment properties are much riskier. And in light of that, the uh, layers of approval are much stricter. Credit scores, you have to put a lot more money down. You know, stuff like that, do I think that'll go away? Eventually it'll lighten up, but the answer is yes. People will walk away from investor homes before they walk away from their own home. But that and was that, always the case. And that's why the lenders are stricter and, and wanting more, consider those riskier loans, yes. Many lenders won't even, uh, right now, they will not lend uh, for one to four family investor properties. One to four uh, is considered residential but if you don't live there, it's considered investor, and many lenders won't lend for those at all. One thing we hear a lot about these days is mortgage modification. Um, is that process getting better? The Obama administration's got a big push on uh, giving incentives to banks to modify mortgages to keep people in their homes, yet it seems like they're foreclosing on a lot more people than they're modifying. What is the future in the modification business? I think that it's, you know, like anything else, it's, it's new. Uh, it's, it's, you know, new territory. I think that the people, the banks, and, and the departments that are working on that don't really, don't really understand the process, just the people, for lack that they just, you know, they haven't been educated. I think that mortgage modifications are a good concept, but on the flip side, popular opinion would say it's just a Band-Aid for the person. So... They'll get their loan modified, but eventually they will walk, you know, they will be in foreclosure. Unless their entire situation change, changes. They get employment, you know, they have more savings, the value of their home goes up. If they modify their mortgage and their situation remains the same, then eventually they're just going to have to foreclose on it. So what would you recommend for somebody who's in that circumstance who can make a payment at a lower level but can't afford the existing payment, or maybe their payment went up because it was interest-only starting doing interest in principal, or it was adjustable rate and the adjustable rate rate went up, or whatever, the rate went up to a level they can't afford, right. but they can afford a lower payment. 
that would, would happen with a modification, should they try to go through that process? And if so, how should they do it? I would say yes. Um, you know, you have to try everything before you walk away, and it's better to try than walk away. So I think that what people really need to do is understand how their house and their mortgage fit into their entire financial profile. And again, you have to look at where you are today, how you got here, and what events will happen in your financial future, six months, 12 months, three months, down, uh, three years down the road. Will you be in a better position six months or 12 months down the road? And a lot of people don't know. <laughs> they hope so, but they don't know for sure. They hope so, but you know what? Honestly, some people know that, that it's not going to happen. You know, if somebody was uh, self-employed or, or a Wall Street person and they were making $3 million a year, I'm giving a big number, and they know that they'll never be able to make that kind of money, you know, in the near future, three years, four years, five years down the road, and they're trying to make payments on a $2 million mortgage with a house with $30,000 in real estate taxes, do you honestly think it's going to change in three years? Yeah, probably not in a case like that. Well, that's uh extreme. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dale Siegel, uh, who's written a new book called The New Rules for Mortgages. And we'll be back after this. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk, talk money, money all the time. time. Voice America Business. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dale Siegel, uh, who is the president of the Circle Mortgage Group based in White Plains, New York. She's come out with a new book called The New Rules for Mortgages. Welcome back to the show, Dale. 
Thank you. Uh, we were talking about mortgage modifications a little bit. If you're in a circumstance where, you, as you say, things don't look like they're going to change or get better or go back to where they were before, and you are behind in your mortgage and you're underwater in your house, which is a situation for a lot of people in this country, unfortunately, what are you selling people to do? Don't try to modify, just walk away, basically? I mean, what, what should somebody do in that circumstance? They cannot I, afford the payments. I would try to, I would try to do the modification first because you don't just give up and walk away. So you have to have hope, as they put it. Uh, try for the modification. Try and make it work. If your situation changes, then you'll be able to push ahead. If your situation doesn't change, no, I don't think that people should just, you know, uh, put all the personal belongings into the station wagon and drive away. I just, you know, that's a terrible situation just to leave a home. Um, I think that people need to try to modify it. And perhaps, let's say you modified it for six months or 12 months and things are still kind of the same, but you can still make those payments at a lower amount, call the bank up and say, can you extend this modification? Can I do this for another 12 months? So what has been your experience with banks lately as to their willingness to do modifications, and what does it take to make it happen? I think it takes uh, persistence on the borrower's side. I think that the person needs to personally do it themselves. There's a lot of mortgage modification, uh, quote-unquote, companies that have popped up. It's just a new business. I don't think that these are the people that should represent you. I think you should do it yourself if you need help. Call your accountant if you have one. Call a friend that's good with numbers. Help somebody put it together. Do it yourself. Be persistent. And you need to find the right person on the phone. That's part of the problem. You need to find somebody at the bank that understands how the process works and can give you the information on how you can get yourself through it. Not easy to find these days. (laughs) Not easy to find. Okay, no. I, I want to discuss another area before we get into the book a little bit more, which is coming regulations. Now, as I understand it, there are some new regulations coming that haven't been enacted yet that will likely be enacted, which will change the whole mortgage game. What are some of the major regulations that consumers uh, might see a difference? There's two regulations. There's one that has to do with the appraisal. Okay, these are the two, I would say, biggest ones. The one that has to do with ordering the appraisal. They're, they've created this because they said that a lot of the reasons why the home values spiraled upwards was because the appraisers, the people that went out and and did an assessment of what the actual market value of the home are, were coerced into coming up with higher values than they should by the mortgage broker and the real estate broker. So what they did was they took the ability to communicate with the appraiser out of the hands of the mortgage broker. Um, Being a mortgage broker yourself, do you think that's a a correct assessment of what was going on? I think that if you have to get rid of the bad apples and you have to take away, you know, uh, take it away from everybody to get rid of the people that, yeah. Do I think it needs to be like this for the forever? No. But I think that in order to remove, you know, a bad situation, then you have to take it away from everybody. So did you do that yourself? Did you call up appraisers and say you're, you're low-balling it and get it up here? No. no. But, but, but lo- I'm different. You know, I can only speak for myself again. I never felt the need to call somebody up and say, hey, if you don't get me an extra $50,000 on the value, I'm not going to order appraisals from you anymore. 
And that was part of the problem. The appraisers make money on volume. And if a large client, a big mortgage bank or somebody said, you know, if you mess me up on this appraiser, appraisal, I'm not going to order my next 20 appraisals from you. The guy only sees that he lost out on thousands of dollars of income. So even though he might know that it's wrong, he knows it's wrong, he's going to do it anyway because this is his livelihood, unfortunately. So you think a lot of appraisals were inflated by this kind of pressure? I think that, um, you know, and again, there's bad seeds out there. So if there's 10 appraisers, there could be two people that were doing it, and those two people ruined it for everybody else. So, so those, uh, the mortgage broker... They get to pick the appraiser, but they can't communicate with them. Is that what this new rule would no, be? No. Okay, so now the situation is, what? let's say I'm a mortgage broker, and what I do is I can do a loan application with you and send it out to three different lenders. So I was always able to order my own appraisal, which you would pay for. Let's say it's $300. I'd order it once, and I'd send the same appraisal to three different lenders. One payment. Now, what they did was... The mortgage broker has to send the loan and request for an appraisal to each lender individually, which means that the borrower needs to pay for three separate appraisals. Oh. <laughs> One lender cannot assign it or give it to another lender. And that's a loophole. This is the problem with this new regulation. That's a loophole in the regulation where... The bank is in charge of ordering the appraisal. The borrower pays the bank directly through their credit card. The bank orders the appraisal. If the loan is rejected or if the person doesn't want the loan, let's say they find a better loan somewhere else, the bank, through a loophole in this process, can say, well, we're not releasing the appraisal, where they really should. So banks are using their own discretion whether they'll release it or whether they won't. Some banks will, some banks won't. What is it doing? It's making the process longer and more costly for the consumer, which is the opposite of what it's supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be making it better and less expensive for the consumer to get a mortgage, but this is the opposite, so that's not good. If the banks do release the appraisal, uh, you know, you have paid for it as a, as a, a homeowner, a potential homeowner, can that appraisal be used for other loans at other banks? I would say no. The but borrower, it used to be that the borrower would get a copy. We would get a copy of the appraisal. They would email it to us. We'd send it off to the borrower. So they would have their own appraisal. Now the bank does not have to release a copy of the appraisal but three days before closing. So you don't really have time to take that appraisal and go out and shop and get another loan because three days doesn't really give you much time. Yeah. So it's almost like you're stuck with that bank, good or bad, which defeats the purpose of the government saying that the borrower, and I'm not blaming the government because I don't know if they really understand the process, defeats the purpose of the, of the consumer being able to go out and shop for the best loan at the lowest amount because they're almost stuck with their first choice. It's going to cost them a lot if they shop around. They'll have to get and pay for an appraisal for each lender they apply to, is what you're saying. Yep, cost time and money. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's so the first regulation. I think regulation. that will change. <laughs> I think that, that they'll realize that, you know, the appraisals need to be assigned and assigned immediately. Uh-huh. And what's the second regulation? The second regulation is the disclosures. The bank, uh, the government, will say, the administration, 
they created another layer of disclosures as far as fees, uh, APRs, interest rates, stuff like that, that you need to get three business days after you receive your loan application, not to borrow with a bank. So if a bank receives a loan application on Monday, the client must not receive, but they must be sent out within three business days. So on Friday, the bank needs to send out all these disclosures, which will outline uh, what your interest rate is, what it's based on, and what the estimate of the fees will be. All right, that's in the beginning of the process. At the end of the process, the bank needs to send out to the client seven days before the closing another final list of fees and what your final interest rate is. If the bank does not send it out within seven days before the closing, the person can't close. So if somebody in the bank messes up and they don't send the form out because they forgot or was sick or somebody didn't cover for them, the person can't close. Is this now this uh, is now in effect, or is this a proposed regulation? July thirtieth. Yep. So I see. So it just started. Now, recently. just started, which you know that means nobody understands how to do it. <laughs> but it, it sounds to me like a good thing because a lot of people get to the closing table and have no idea what their fees are going to be, and this will give them a week to know what they're getting into. Is it? Am I missing something here? It is a good thing. However, it's simply an estimate of fees. The form is confusing and complicated. It's now, instead of one page, it's three pages. So you can't tell me that the average consumer can really sit down and understand a three-page form written by, let's assume, a team of lawyers, and I am a lawyer so I could say that, which is very confusing, and just get it. Is this so the HUD one? Are they really going to read the form? This is the same as the HUD-1 good faith estimate? Is that the idea? It's almost a mirror. It's almost a mirror of the HUD-1. The HUD-1 you get at the closing. This you get seven days before the closing. So could there be any changes from this one you get seven days before and at the closing table? There shouldn't be any changes. And another uh, rule that they had is that the, the, the HUD-1 that you refer to, the form that you get at the closing, which is the exact to the penny, amount yes. that you paid to close the loan, the borrower is supposed to receive the HUD-1 the day before the closing, the that's day a, before. That's a new regulation? Cause it has that's new. That's all part of the same thing. I see, because that hasn't been true in the past. Most people, the first time they see it is at the closing table, and everybody's lo looking over them trying to... if you have an attorney to... represent you, the attorney always asks for you know, a copy of the HUD-1 or an estimate of fees, which they get from the bank the day before, and the attorney is supposed to review that with you, but that's only for a purchase, not a refinance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this is a better deal, if, if, and so the advice to consumers is read all this stuff the seven days before, right? Know yeah, what you're getting open involved the envelope. with. Open the envelope. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many times we send things to people in the mail that say this is time-sensitive, you know, you need to review this, sign it, and send it back. And then I ask the people, and they're like, oh, what envelope? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I threw it on the kitchen table. <laughs> so, you know, you can you can send it to them, but you can't make them open it and read it. Is this part of the service that you provide is going over these forms with the people before they get to the closing? Yeah, I mean, we try to. We actually send out, we have been doing for quite some time, a year or two, sending out a letter right before the closing, which is basically a review. Your interest rate is this, your loan amount is this, your term is this. This is an estimate of what your closing cost will be broken down, and it's usually an email. 
just, you know, please review this and email us back an acknowledgement that you received this email and you looked at it if you have any questions. But most people didn't do that because people are pressed for time. Well, it's too complicated for them to look at all this stuff, I guess. Well, if I did it in a very simple format in an email, it, it's very simple. I mean, if you really just needed to know what your loan amount, I want you to make sure that, yeah, this is your loan amount. Yeah, you did get a 30-year fix, you know, and, and you are paying one point or whatever your fees are. Just acknowledge that because people do get to closing tables where, you know, they thought their loan was 200000 and the bank made a mistake and it's only, and they get the papers for 150000 Then everybody has to sit at the closing table for three hours while the bank fixes the error. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it's interesting stuff. Uh, we're going to get uh, to more of this. Again, I'm speaking with uh, Dale Siegel, uh, whose new book is called The New Rules for Mortgages. Uh, she is uh, president of Circle Mortgage Group based in uh, White Plains, New York. Uh, and again, the uh, website for the book is www.thenewrulesformortgages.com. We'll be back after this. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk, talk money, money all the time. time. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. What I want to be when I grow up by Johnny Mike. Dad, it's John. I got the promotion. We'll call him John Jr. You'll speak over 500 million words in your lifetime, but none of them will be as important as the words you use to tell your six-year-old he has cancer. CureSearch.org connects you to the most comprehensive research and advice on childhood cancer and to other families who know exactly what you're going through. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. Sell, buy, buy, sell. All we talk about is money. Talk to an expert. Call now. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dale Siegel, uh, who is the president of the Circle Mortgage Group in White Plains, New York. Uh, she's also the author of a new book called The New Rules for Mortgages. Welcome back to the show, Dale. Thank you very much. Uh, another area of, of new regulation I understand uh, affecting mortgage brokers is the, uh, the banning, potentially, or restricting of the so-called yield spread premium. Maybe describe what that is and you know, how that regulation might change things a little bit. The yield spread premium is the fee that the lender pays the mortgage broker, the third party, for finding the client, processing the loan, and getting them to the closing. The bank pays the broker 
which is almost the same as the client paying points, almost like a finder's fee to the broker. So the bank pays the broker this fee. Okay. Uh, and they're, they're, now what's, what's wrong about that? Why would they talk about restricting or banning that fee? They talk about restricting it because when I started in the business in the 80s, um, you can make an unlimited amount, meaning the bank could pay you uh, 1% of the loan, 5% of the loan. So for a $100,000 mortgage, a bank can pay a broker 5%, which is $5,000. How does this affect the customer? The more money the bank pays the broker in the yield spread premium, the higher the consumer's interest rate will be. So what they want to do is they want to say the banks can't pay the broker more than 2% of the loan amount because then the broker won't have the incentive to inflate the interest rate as high as possible to make as much money as possible on the back. Has that been a problem? Have uh, brokers been inflating interest rates to make their own fees? Well, of course. Of course. And so again, that, that's what gives mortgage brokers a bad name. Um, so that's a state-by-state state regulation. Each state chooses uh, the cap, the maximum amount a mortgage broker can make. Some states are 2%, some states are 4%. It depends. So would this be a federal law that would oversee all of that or over overwhelm the rest of those state laws? They've always tried to make it um, a federal uh, law, but so far they haven't. And if it ever got to the point where they would say mortgage brokers can't make any money anymore, uh, a yield spread premium, then that would probably completely dissolve the industry because that's how they get paid. That's how they get paid. So you're saying this isn't likely to happen? I don't think it is. Um, I think that it's a good thing that they cap it because I don't think that anybody's entitled to make a 5% or a 7% fee. But it's a, the fee is supposed to be uh, a measure of the service provided. So to, you know, um, introduce yourself to a client, you know, counsel them, uh, get their loan approved, do all the paperwork, and get them to the closing table is worth X, 2%. Of the fee of the loan amount, but it's not worth why nobody is really worth seven percent of the, of the loan amount. What do you think is the maximum that is fair for a customer to pay for broker services? I think that two um, percent is way more than enough. I think that anywhere between one percent and one and a half percent, you know, is is a fair amount, is a good fee. You know, and they're not just working on one. It's a, it's a very profitable business if you're good at it. It became a very profitable business even if you were bad at it, and that was the problem. It is a good service to provide. It's almost like an insurance agent. Yes, yes. So uh, where does this uh, proposal stand right now about restricting? And is it just about restricting, or is it, are there a proposal to actually ban yield spread premium altogether? I think that the, that that there's always you know the right wing left wing and you know the the right comes out and they say you know we're going to ban it you can't get paid because then it creates you know higher interest rates for the consumer and then the other side comes out well you really need this service you need people to be able to provide this service to consumers let's just cap what their fee is so it'll be a compromise and it, this is ongoing I mean uh, ten years this has been a conversation. 
Uh huh. But I mean, the Obama administration is particularly serious about this, as I understand it. They are serious about it, but again, you know, if they if they take it away, are they taking away the service? You know that many many people need. I think it's a good service, so I think that there will be a compromise. I don't think that the administration will be so um, hung up on eliminating it completely because then they'll be eliminating a needed service. Uh-huh. So they should cap it. And if they cap it federally, that every state has the same X amount that you can make, then that's fine. So if that were to happen, say it was even 2% cap, uh, would the mortgage broker business be okay and they'd be able to live with that, or would that hurt a lot of them? I think that if... Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to speak for myself because I don't want to, you know, say that anybody... I think that it's a reasonable amount. We'll leave it at that. I think it's a reasonable amount that a good salesperson would be happy with. Okay. All right, I want to get to some of the points you have in your book. And again, I'm speaking uh, with Dale Siegel, uh, whose new book is called The New Rules for Mortgages. Uh, in your Chapter 6, which is Where to Get the Best Mortgage, you start talking about virtual lenders. Um, what are the pros and cons of dealing with online uh, lenders? You talk about e-loan and Quicken Loans and LendingTree.com. A lot of people going that way, and they think that's the way to get the best loan. Is, what are the pros and cons of those? I think that the pros to going online, the good things to do uh, online, is to get information. Uh, the Internet is really, for anything that you're buying, it's, it's an information tool. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of it is advertising in the form of information. So to go online, I would use it as an information tool. Understand the buzzwords, use the calculators, figure that out. But cut yourself at putting in your name, address, social security number in and asking for a free pre-approval or a free credit report. Um, I don't believe that people should um, buy a service online because a service is more personal than a product. So use the Internet as a, as a tool to educate yourself and then go, I'm not saying locally, you don't have to go in the same town, but then you need a more personal, you know, somebody you could speak to, somebody that if you had to drive to their office or FedEx something overnight, you, you can you, use. You talk about the geographically undesirable lender. Um, why does it matter if, if you're going to get a great rate from someplace across the country, you can fax papers back and forth uh, to go to someplace not, you know, somewhat near your, your home location. Right. Geographically undesirable is for, I'll give you a perfect example. If I'm buying a cooperative apartment, which is a special type of property in New York City, and I went to this great online mortgage company in Kansas, they don't have co-ops in Kansas. So they don't understand the process of getting a cooperative corporation approved, understanding the entire concept. So they're not going to be able to really process this loan properly as opposed to somebody that does co-op loans all the time. So, and also here's another example. We're in New York. We're considered downstate. We're in Westchester County, 20 miles outside of New York City. If I'm buying a property in downstate New York, I don't know if I should go to somebody in Niagara Falls to get the loan because the way the contracts are prepared, the way the deed is prepared, title insurance, everything is all different upstate than it is downstate. 
So again, they're not going to understand the process. That's what I mean about being geographically undesirable. You have a section here saying, do not go by interest rate alone when comparing lenders. What else should people look for instead of, in addition to the interest rate? Everybody should pretty much be within the same window as far as an interest rate. So if you call up three different companies and two of the people say the current interest rate is five and a quarter and the third person says the interest rate is four and three quarters, why is his so much lower than everybody else, right? So market should be about the same. They call that prevailing interest rate. What is today's interest rate? So you have to assume that everybody's going to be able to come up with the lowest interest rate. The things that you need to look at are what are the junk fees? The closing costs will always be the same. The title costs will be the same. The bank fees will be the same within a couple, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. What are the junk fees? Processing fee, application fee. There's a bunch of fees that people can swing, you know, anywhere between 200 and $700. So those are the fees you want to compare. What are your actual fees? The other thing you really want to go by, again, you're buying a service. So what do you want in a service? You want somebody that's accessible, that you can email, and they have a BlackBerry, and they can email you back, or they'll call you right back. If you ask them a question, they have the answer. You know, stuff like that. You, you, you're buying a service, so you want somebody that you're confident can educate you and give you the proper guidance that you need. That, and, to me, is more important. And how do you know that up front if you haven't dealt with this person before? Because if you call person number one and you have a conversation with them, within the conversation, you're going to come up with more questions and understand more things. Then you can go to person number two. And thinking back on your conversation that you had with the first guy, you can say, oh, by the way, can I do this? Or what is this fee? Or what is the time frame of this? By the time you get to the third person, if you're asking them the same questions, you're going to know, you're going to have enough of a base of yourself to know which of these people, you know, can come up with the answers as quick, you know, quickly and, and correctly. And, and then you just sort of have to go by your gut, you know. It's, it's, it's almost like a date, you know. You have to have a good first date or a bad first date. Yes, very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, my guest this hour is Dale Siegel, uh, who is president of Circle Mortgage Group in White Plains, New York. Her new book is called The New Rules for Mortgages. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, 401ks, investments, refinancing. We can help you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in 
both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve Total Wealth Management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Money, money, up-to-date business and financial news. Money, money. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dale Siegel, uh, who is the president of Circle Mortgage Group based in White Plains, New York. She's also the author of a new book called The New Rules for Mortgages. Welcome back to the show, Dale. Thank you, Jordan. You were talking about various alternatives for getting mortgages, and one you talk about is credit unions. Uh, what are the pros and cons of dealing with credit unions to get a mortgage? All right. I like credit unions. Um, there's a credit union out there for everybody. Um, I always tell when I teach this class, I always say, you know, if anybody wants to get a credit union, call me. I'll hook you up. What is great about credit unions? They're more of the old school, the old line of lending personal touch. You can actually speak to somebody. If you belong to a credit union, you've probably been in there a million times making deposits and you have a relationship with them. You might have a car loan with them. So it's more in the personal touch. As far as uh, interest rates, typically the credit union interest rates will be lower than a commercial bank or just a regular mortgage bank. Not by a point, but maybe a quarter percent lower. So it's not, you know, a lot, but it adds up. Fees, the fees should be lower. Um, another thing that people like about credit unions, because they lend out their own money, typically if they're small, which most of them are, they service their own loans, which means that your loan will not be sold. Some people like that. Most people don't mind anymore. They just assume that their mortgage will be sold a couple times during the life of the loan. Another good thing about credit unions is that because it's the personal touch, they can actually review the loan and say, you know what, their credit's not so great, but I've known Mr. Smith for the past 15 years. You know, his kids go to the same school that my kids go to. Let's take a chance. So they're actually putting a name and a face to the mortgage, whereas if you went to a large commercial bank, you're nothing but a number. Yeah. You also talk about mortgage bankers. We've talked about mortgage brokers, but what would be the advantage of going to a mortgage banker? Uh, and you, you think, you say you, uh, your mortgage banker is not a real bank. Explain maybe what a mortgage banker is and the advantage of going to them. A mortgage banker is the same as a mortgage broker. They're a third-party lender. The customer goes to the mortgage banker or mortgage broker, applies for the loan, does all the paperwork, and then the loan is sold to a large institution, whoever it is. Um, 
they're basically the same because they're third-party lenders. The difference between a mortgage banker and a mortgage broker, the biggest difference for the consumer is that if you go to a mortgage broker, they know, you as the consumer know where your loan is going. If you go to a mortgage banker, which is why they couch themselves as actual banks, they have a line of credit. So they will write out a check to pay for your mortgage. A week later, they sell your loan. So the consumer doesn't know or won't know until a little bit after the closing that the loan has actually been sold, which is why they think they're going to a bank. There's no advantage. Same fees, same interest rates, same everything. So you would avoid going to a mortgage banker then? I think it doesn't matter. Um, you know, like I say in, in my seminar, it doesn't matter where you go, whether you go to the guy that works at Wells Fargo or whether you go to the small little mortgage broker that works out of his house. It doesn't matter where you go, you're going to the person, which is why their ability to service you and create a good communication with you, a good relationship with you, is more important than where you're going to get the loan. You have a whole chapter on closing and closing costs and so on. Some specific things you're saying there, you say that uh, mortgage life insurance is something you should probably not go into. Explain what that is and why you're not a big fan of it. Mortgage life insurance is exactly that. It's life insurance. Uh, A lot of mortgage companies try to make a little bit extra money by selling you a life insurance policy. If you die, you have a life insurance policy that will pay off the dollar amount of the mortgage. But that's the same as going and just getting a life insurance policy. So you don't really need one specific for the mortgage. Now, this is different than uh, PMI, private mortgage insurance, which is something you don't really have a choice over whether you get it or not, right? Correct. That's completely different. PMI, you're actually, uh, the bank is making you take out insurance if if you put less than 20% down on a home. So if your mortgage is greater than 80%, you have to take out insurance if you default on the loan. So if you default and go into foreclosure, the bank has insurance to get paid the difference back, having nothing to do with death. Is there any way around uh, doing PMI if you have less than 20%? Uh, there were ways of, of getting around it. Now PMI is really tight, almost very hard to get. Uh, people did first mortgages and second mortgages. If uh, you heard the term 80-10-10, that was real big about five years ago. Well, They'd the get pi- a first piggyback loan, they'd call it, right? Mm-hmm. They'd call that the piggyback loan, right? The piggybacks, yep, the piggyback uh, loan. Do those exist today? No. No. I mean, I'm sure there's lenders out there. Yeah. But, but they're hard to find and very expensive uh-huh. for obvious reasons. Another thing you talk about in this chapter is the lock process. What should people know about locking in a rate, particularly in such a volatile environment where rates are up and down dramatically day to day, it seems? When should I you think, lock and when should you not lock? I think that um, locking in your interest rate, you have to lock it in for the right amount of time. So you can't lock your loan in before you found a house to buy. I don't think that people should lock in an interest rate for a longer period than 30 days. But that's, again, my opinion. Um, People lock in an interest rate so that they know what they're going to get. If you lock it in too far in advance, the bank, to hedge against their bet that the interest rate is going to go up or down, will lock you in at a higher interest rate. So the further out you lock, the more expensive it is for you. If you lock it in within a period of 30 days or 15 days from the day of your closing, you're going to get the best, the lowest possible rate. However, 
if you feel that the rates are going to go up, then some people feel they want to lock in so that they can sleep easy at night. The key to locking in is once you lock in your interest rate, be happy with what you have. So if rates, rates fall from that point, you shouldn't uh, get out. Can you get out of a lock if, you, if rates fall after you You can't get it? out of a lock, but there are, um, they call them float downs, which is usually just a game and it's not, you know, for the benefit of the consumer. But now, because the rates are so volatile, as you said, a lot of the banks are giving the opportunity to relock. So if you locked in at Five and a half percent. If the rates go down to five percent, the bank will give you the ability to relock your loan at no cost. It should be at no cost. So that looks like sounds like a good idea to do a relock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in general, uh, should people get fixed rate mortgages or adjust rate? I mean, adjustables usually are lower than fixed. That's probably not that true these days. But are there reasons to do adjust rate mortgages, or should you mostly do fixed? Do you think? The question today, fixed rate loans, uh, the interest rate is going to be lower than adjustable because they're based on short-term bonds versus long-term bonds. So if you asked me that question five years ago and you said, should I do an adjustable rate loan, my very first question should be, how long are you going to stay in this property? If you're staying in the property forever and you just want to take advantage of a lower rate for the first five years, don't risk it. Get a 30-year fix because you don't know where the interest rates will be in five years. So that was your so, answer five years ago. What's your answer today? My answer today is do a fixed rate loan because it's going to be lower than an adjustable rate for now. And how about interest only? Those were very popular for a while. Interest only were very popular. That's when people thought, let me just make the interest payment. I won't pay anything towards principal, but it doesn't matter because my home is going to be worth double in three years and I'll have plenty of equity in it. Okay, So a lot of people did interest-only payments and never paid a nickel of their principal. What people didn't realize, which I'm sure they heard but didn't hear, is that after 10 years of making interest-only payments, you have to start paying down your principal. And what the bank does is they accelerate it over 20 years. So if you're making an interest-only payment of $500 after 10 years or 15 years, whatever the term was, all of a sudden your payment went to principal and interest, and it's now $1,400. And that's payment shock which is causing a lot of problems. So would you recommend people not do interest-only loans today? I think that the interest-only loan was invented for the person that needs to watch their cash flow but gets paid in chunks of money and will be financially responsible, take the chunks of money, and pay down their principal. But if you're just a basic average salaried employee, no. Go for the you know full uh, amortizing loan. Very good. All right, well, it's really been fascinating. I've been speaking with Dale Siegel, whose new book is called The New Rules for Mortgages. Uh, there is a website, thenewrulesformortgages.com. We just scratched the surface and all the different things. So if you're thinking of getting a mortgage or refinancing, uh, this certainly could be a very good guide to help you out. Thanks so much for being on the show, Dale. Thank you again, Jordan. And thank you, audience. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.